Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Bible Baptist Church. Go to Colossians chapter 1. And I want to ask you this question as we're turning there, and we'll spend some time here in God's Word, and then we'll be, we'll be finished. But let me ask you this question. Have you ever, I know you have, but think about it with me. The last time you went to somebody and said, hey, I've been, I've, I've been praying for you, what have you meant by that? Have you had something specific that you've been praying? Or have you just, Lord, just lay them on my heart so I just generically bring them up to the Lord? Those prayers are good. But I, I'm, I'm I firmly believe that we serve a specific God. He, he loves the specifics. When you think about creation and how he created the world in six days and rested on the seventh, he's very specific with all the details. Day one, day two, day three. He's very specific with them. He's also asking that we be specific with him in our prayer requests. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and, the, and it shall be opened unto you. John fourteen thirteen. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Luke eleven two. And he said unto them, When you pray, say specifically, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, thanksgiving, let your requests specific requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How often do we take general requests to the Lord? I'm not saying that that's sinful, but we serve a God that looks like from Scripture is very specific, wants the details, wants to know our heart, wants us to share our heart with Him, wants us to cast our burdens to Him. And it shows great faith that we can take something specific and take it to the Lord and say, Lord, I need help in this area. Lord, they need help in this area. And we're specific with the Lord. How can we be more specific in our prayers? I think Paul helps us out with his prayer for the church of Colossae. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9. For this cause also, we, uh, we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to, to his glorious power unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. Paul is very specific with the prayer requests that he has for the church of Colossae to the Lord. And I want us to think about it for a moment. As you go through the writings of Paul, I, I do not find in his prayers the following. Prayers to get out of prison. Prayers to escape execution. Prayers for financial support. Prayers for his own health. Prayers for the success and others in their businesses. None of those things are bad. They're good things. I'm sure Paul, if it was up to the Lord, would be okay to escape prison. I'm sure Paul, if it was okay with the Lord, to escape execution. However, he says, my time is at hand. He knew it was coming, and he accepted that. And so what he did was he pushed away good requests and went for the best requests that he could ask for the church of Colossae. 
And that's what I want us to look at this morning. How can we effectively pray for our teens? How can we effectively pray for each other? How can we effectively pray for ourselves? Paul gives us a couple of ways. So as we look at this specific prayer, you'll see, first of all, he says in verse 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and desire that you might be filled with all knowledge. The very first specific prayer request he had was that the church of Colossae be filled with knowledge. We need to be praying that our teens are filled with knowledge. We need to be praying that each of us are filled with knowledge. And we need to be praying for ourselves that we be filled with knowledge. And I'm going to take it a step deeper because the people at Colossae knew exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he uses the word epignosis, which is the word for knowledge. In fact, it goes deeper than the regular form of knowledge in the Greek, which is gnosis. He used epignosis. Gnosis means knowledge. To use uh, the prefix epi, epi before it means towards, making the definition of this word precise or additional knowledge. So he says, Church of Colossae, my prayer request for you is that you be filled with additional knowledge. Okay, that sounds interesting. Uh, I think all of us would like additional knowledge. You know, we could be smarter, wiser, but it's a little deeper than that. This church, the Church of Colossae, was surrounded by a group of people, by a school of thought of the Gnostics. And the Gnostics in these times, if you were a Gnostic, uh, you were brought into this thought process of Gnosticism and you placed the emphasis on all of knowledge. The Gnostics believed that their knowledge was based on personal experience. It was a secret knowledge. You would believe that all humans have a piece of... They, they would believe, if you were a Gnostic, you would believe that all humans have a piece of God within themselves and you just have to discover it. They also believed that Jesus Christ did come to this earth, but for the purpose of bringing Gnosis to mankind. If they did not believe that Jesus Christ was Lord, they just simply believed that he was a good person with the, with the example of what true epignosis is, how to live with all knowledge. So Paul uses this word epignosis for a reason because this, this school of thought has been infiltrating this church. It wasn't necessarily a sect or a religion. It was simply a school of thought that had been infiltrating the church surrounding the church, and it's even prevalent today. And we'll talk about that here in a second. But Paul uses this word epignosis. He also uses two other words. He says uh, knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He uses the word wisdom, which is sophia, which is discernment. He uses understanding, which is sunesis, which means to discern truth from error. So Paul's prayer for the church of Colossae was simply this, that you be filled with knowledge to discern what is truth and what is error. Our teens need that. We need that. Satan is active in attacking the mind. He attacks our thoughts. And he was attacking this church as well. And so Gnosticism said, there is a part of you that is good. What does the Bible say about that? Romans 3, 10 through 11, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Listen to this. There is none that understandeth. That right there debunks the idea of Gnosticism. 
We need God. There's no one that seeketh after God. We in and of ourselves are evil. There is no good in us. We need Christ. And this is why Paul uses the word epignosis. It was the favorite word by the Gnostics to use of this secret knowledge or this knowledge that placed them above other people based on their personal experience. So he uses their word and reigns it in and uses it for what it's supposed to be used as, epignosis. When I know Jesus Christ, when I know God, I have wisdom. God's word, I can find wisdom. It's from above. It's not within me. It's through God. So he says, my prayer is that you be filled with all wisdom. Why would a believer at the church of Colossae buy into this school of thought? The same reason we may stray away from this book and buy another school of thought. And it's the reason that Satan is active in attacking the mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, "...in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not." lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Satan knows he can't have your heart. No man can pluck you out of the Father's hand. But he'll be actively seeking your mind. He wants to control what goes into your mind. He wants to control what you're thinking about. He wants to control what you're watching. He wants to control what you're listening to. So yes, Satan is active, just as active today as he was back in the day of the church of Colossae. And when Paul says, I'm praying that you have knowledge, he's saying, I'm praying that you would be able to discern what is truth and what is error. Our teens need that. We need that. Why? Because we are bombarded from every angle by a world Satan-driven through social media. Is everything you see on social media truth? By the giggles, we understand no. Sometimes we take it away as truth, though. Oh, so-and-so posted this. It must be truth. Have you backed that by Scripture? What about Hollywood? May step on some toes here. Marvel, the God within you. See how Gnosticism has gone not only from the church of Colossae, but has infiltrated into our world today. And Hollywood is even pushing the idea that there is good within you. You must find it. And when you find it, you must rise to the top. Your good must outweigh your bad. That is Hollywood driven right now. And it's what Colossae was dealing with. Paul says, I'm praying for your knowledge. I'm praying that you know truth. I'm praying that you understand this is error and this is truth. I must buy the truth and sell it not. Music. Is everything that you listen to truth? No. (laughs) CNN, Fox, CBS, everything you hear from there, is that truth? No, it's not. No, it's not. Truth. God's word is truth. False teachers, authors, everything written, every book written besides God's word, is it all truth? No. So we need to be praying that we be filled with knowledge. We need to be praying that our teens are filled with knowledge, that they can discern what is truth and what is error. Satan is attacking the mind. He's attacking true knowledge. We live in a society that promotes relativism. Whatever you believe is okay. Whatever I believe is okay, we can coexist. That is huge right now. He's attacking the mind. If we're not careful, we as believers can accept that and say, well, I know what I believe, If you want to believe that, that's okay. No, it's not okay. 
If you don't believe the truth, then what you're believing is going to send you to a place that you do not want to spend eternity in. Truth matters. Relativism is predominant in our society today. Coexisting, tolerance. You believe what you want to believe, I'll believe what I want to believe, and we're okay. The first way that Paul prayed specifically for the believers is that they would be filled with knowledge. The second way that he, he prays for them is found in verse 10, the very first uh, sentence here, that you might walk worthy of the Lord. Paul says, I'm praying for you, church. I'm praying that you be filled with knowledge, that you discern what is truth and what is error. And I'm also praying that you walk worthy. This word walk is, is really what we think it is. It is the outward walk that other people see. The truth of the matter is, every believer in the church of Colossae was walking. The truth of the matter is, every believer in Bible Baptist Church is walking. But that does not mean that everybody in Colossae and everybody in Bible Baptist Church is walking worthy. Paul says, I pray that you be filled with knowledge, but I also pray that you walk worthy. Because of the heavy Gnostic influence, there's a great deal of emphasis on allowing your good to outweigh your bad. As we understand from this heresy, your good must rise to the top, and that is how you experience perfect knowledge. It's in you, so you must find it and rise to the top. If we're not careful, we can get into a habit of justifying our evil as long as we have good that outweighs our bad. We understand that Christ died for our sins, but we sometimes outweigh our bad with our good. We get to the end of the day, and we're like, today I was pretty good. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean that you sinned? Okay, then the Bible says that you're not pretty good. We, see, we can get into this thought process as well of our good outweighing our bad. And what does Paul say? Don't worry about that. Just walk worthy. Walk worthy of your calling. If we're not careful, we can justify our good, our, our good outweighing our bad just because we're walking according to our standards does not mean that we're doing it in a worthy manner. Our walk must be the same around Christians as our walk is at home when we're by ourselves, And if our walk is different, then our walk is not worthy. Our walk must be worthy before the Lord. How are we supposed to walk? Worthy. God is not a genie to whom we go to in prayer and say, Lord, I need this. Meet my desire. In fact, it's the complete opposite. We were made to glorify the Lord and meet his every desire. So if we're not walking to meet the desires of our God, then we're not walking worthily. We need to be walking in such a way that meets and satisfies every desire that God has for our life. Where are those desires? They're found in his word. Every 66 books in the Bible reminds us of how we should walk and why we should walk and what God likes and what God dislikes. So to walk worthy means that we walk according to how God wants us to walk and not according to how we want to walk. We've got to set ourselves aside and understand what God wants for us. What are his desires? What does he want from us? How should we walk? Paul says, I'm praying for you that you walk worthily, that you meet every desire that God has for your life. Paul prays that they be filled with truth, that they be walking worthily, and next he prays that they would bear fruit. These kind of all go in succession, be filled with knowledge. Knowledge will lead to walking worthily. Walking worthily will lead to bearing fruit. These works are not works-based salvation. 
but rather a salvation that is evident through works. It is that we're so grafted into the vine that we begin to bud. John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5 remind us, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye, except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. What are we to bud? What fruit are we to bear in life? It's the very life of the Savior flowing through us. We're reminded in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38 how God anointed Jesus Christ with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. You understand when you're saved, God is with you. But it doesn't automatically mean that you are bearing fruit. The Holy Spirit resides within you if you are saved. And the Holy Spirit has characteristics that can be your characteristics as well. And notice I said can. doesn't automatically happen. The compassion, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the gentleness, the patience, the goodness, the faith, the meekness, the temperance. All the fruits of the Spirit are the fruits that we ought to be bearing. But if we're not filled with the Spirit, we will not bear those fruits. We know that the indwelling of the Spirit happens at salvation. It's permanent. The Spirit as we're saved, moves in and takes residency. He is our seal unto the day of redemption. There is no vacation time, out of the office time by the Holy Spirit in your life. He's there. He resides within you. We talked about in Youth Life this morning how to not grieve the Spirit. How do you grieve the Spirit? Well, understand, every time you sin, you're not only bringing you into that sin, but you're also bringing the Holy Spirit because He's with you. Not that the Holy Spirit is sinning, but He's inside of you. And He sorrows over that. And he grieves over that. So the Holy Spirit dwells within us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Know ye not that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? When you're saved, the Holy Spirit dwells within you. That's permanent. You have all of the Spirit. There's no part that you're missing. You have everything that you need. But then there's the filling of the Spirit. And this is when Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 and we talked about this in Youth Life about a month ago. He says, And be not drunk with wine, where it is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. If filling of the Spirit were automatic, there would be no command from Paul to tell us to be filled with the Spirit. The filling is an everyday action that we must take. We ought to bear the Spirit's fruit. And he connects it with drunkenness, alcohol. And he says, uh, if, 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 don't be drunk with wine, where is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I went over this with the teens, so you may, this may be um, a refresher for you teens. Uh, but if you've ever been around somebody that's been drunk before, you know that a person's personality or demeanor can be completely changed, right? They're one person one moment, then they drink, and they're another totally different person. Their personality, their demeanor changes, there are people who are the sweetest people on the planet who become the most angry individuals on the planet when they become drunk. There are people who are hard as nails when sober 
who become emotionally unstable and cry for no reason when they're drunk. There are people who wouldn't hurt a fly when sober, but beat on their spouses and their children when they become drunk. There are people who are very frugal with their money, who blow it when they're drunk. There are people who are super outgoing when sober, but become mean and nasty when drunk. To all of these instances, what has happened? A person has been temporarily changed by the influence of someone or something. And in the, in the case of alcohol, a person is changed by the spirit of strong drink. The idea is that a person before drinking is one person, and after drinking, they become completely different. So Paul takes that and he connects it with this being filled with the spirit. And he says this, Paul says, don't be filled with that type of spirit. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to do the exact same thing in changing a person from one personality and demeanor to a completely different person. But it's the Spirit that you ought to have. Don't go after strong drink. Go after the Spirit. So at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit moves in. The Holy Spirit has many different godly characteristics found in Galatians chapter 5. They're not automatically obtained. While the Spirit of God moves in and indwells the believer, that does not mean that we automatically become filled with the Spirit forevermore. It is an action. To be filled is an action. Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present, that you yield your bodies, a living sacrifice. The word yield is a word that Georgians don't know, for one. Go to a roundabout and you will find that out. Go to a yield sign and uh, you'll find that out. You guys know, I hope, that a yield sign means I'm at this point, I have a yield sign, I must let so-and-so go before me and follow their way. In our life, the Holy Spirit, we must allow the Holy Spirit to lead the way. We can't just take off in our own route. We must yield our members to the Spirit. We must be filled with the Spirit. So if the indwelling of the Spirit means that I have all of the Spirit, what does the filling of the Spirit mean? means the Spirit has all of me. I've been completely yielded. I've been completely given over to the control of the Holy Spirit. What does this look like? Well, a person who is angry becomes kind. A person who is a liar begins to speak truth. A person who is unfaithful to the Lord becomes faithful to the Lord. A person that listens to ungodly music listens to godly music. A person who looks at ungodly photos or movies looks away and looks at godly things. A person changes when they meet Christ. And the Holy Spirit produces that change. But if we don't yield to the Spirit, we don't produce or bear the fruit that we ought to be bearing. That temporary, it's temporary. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 13 through 23 reminds us of this. I won't read the whole passage. But Jesus comes into Caesarea Philippi. He asks his disciples, whom do men say that I am? They say, some, of, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. That is an answer from a person that is spirit-filled. Go down a couple of verses. All of a sudden, then charged he his disciples that he, he should tell no man 
that he was with Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples how he must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders of the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. Peter took him, began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto you. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Peter, in a matter of probably a minute or two minutes, three minutes, I don't know, was spirit-filled, giving a spirit-filled answer, and then giving a fleshly answer. So that reminds us, we must every single day when we wake up, yield ourselves to the Spirit in order to bear fruit. If we don't see the fruit of the Spirit in our life, chances are we have not yielded our body to the Spirit and said, Spirit, you have full control. And this is one of my prayer requests for our teens, for you all as well, is that we pray not only that they have knowledge to discern what is truth and what is error, not only that they walk worthily, fulfilling every desire that God has for their life, but they also be bearing fruit, that when we look at them, we see the Spirit of God living in them actively. We see love. We see gentleness. We see temperance. We see goodness. We see faith. We see it because they're bearing and budding the, the exact life of God through their life. They are connected to that vine and bearing fruit. And Paul says, I'm praying that you bear fruit. Three of the greatest tools that you were ever given, God's word to show you what needs to be changed. Prayer to ask for the Lord's help to change. And the Holy Spirit to help produce a change in your life. Those three things are the most important tools that you could add to your tool bag. They're the most important tools that our teens can use as well. And our prayer request for them is that they understand God's word is important, prayer is important, and being filled with the Spirit is important. And all three of them go together. And that's something that we need to remember as well. Because my guess is this is something that all of us struggle with, something that I struggle with, being filled with the Spirit or being filled with the flesh. Paul reminds us, I have this battle within me. The Spirit wants to do what the Spirit wants. My flesh wants what it wants, and they're butting heads. We battle that every single day, and we need God's help every single morning, every single moment throughout the day. We will fall, but we must run to God, ask for forgiveness, and again, yield ourselves to the Lord. So he says, I'm praying that you be filled with knowledge. I'm praying that you walk worthily, and I'm praying that you bear fruit. And then he says, I pray that you be uh, increasing in the knowledge of God, last part of verse 10. Paul's prayer for the church of Colossae is the same prayer that we should have for ourselves, the same prayer that we should have for uh, the teens, for other brothers and sisters in Christ. And this is different from the first knowledge. The first knowledge is, uh, Paul says, I pray that you would be able to discern what is truth and what is error. And now he's saying, I'm praying that you would increase in your knowledge of your Savior. It's almost like the verse that he, he wrote a couple books before, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, was on his mind. And he says, I'm just praying that you might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. You know what is simply mind-blowing about the fact of no, increasing in your knowledge of God is that our God wants to be known. He wants you to know him. He invites you to know him. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and 29. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take your yoke upon me. Learn of me. I invite you. Come know me. 
for I'm meek, I'm lowly, and I'll give you rest. The Queen of England has never invited me to come get to know her. The President of the United States has never invited me to get to know him. Tom Brady has never invited me to get to know him. Kirby Smart has never invited me to get to know him. Jesus Christ has offered that invitation for me, and he's offered that invitation for you to get to know him. The problem is, some of us have taken that invite, we've crumpled it up, and we've went on our way, and we don't do anything with that invitation, and that is on us. And I encourage our teens, I want our teens, when December of 2022 rolls around, I want them to look back to January of 2022, and I want them to say, I know my God more than I did in January. I don't want them to get to December and look back and say, God's the same to me. That should be encouraging to us, pushing us, convicting us as well. Tomorrow, you ought to know more about God than you did today. Wednesday, you ought to know more about God than you do tomorrow. Every day that you live, you ought to be growing and increasing in your knowledge of God. But so many different voices and so many other invitations come in, and we accept all other invitations and leave the invitation of our God on the table and move throughout our busy schedules and never accept the invite to sit down and get to know our God. David wrote this, Psalm 145, verse 3, Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. Wait a minute, is David telling us that don't even bother? No, he's saying get started, because it's going to take you all of eternity, and you won't even scratch the surface of the greatness of your God. Paul says, I'm praying for you. You discern between truth and error. I'm praying that you walk in such a way that fulfills the desires of your God. I'm praying that you bear fruit, the Spirit lives within you, and I'm praying that its characteristics, His characteristics, come through in your life and other people see Christ through you. And I'm also praying that every single day that you live, you increase in the knowledge of your God. I pray that you pick up that invitation and accept it and search Him out. And then lastly, He says, I'm praying that you be strengthened. The Gnostics believe that it's up to you to achieve perfect knowledge, but we know, John 15 and verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches, he that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. How often do we go through life relying on our own strength to get through our day, to get through our trial? We rely so much on ourselves, but aren't you glad that God does not save us and then count on us to muster up within ourselves the strength to live the Christian life. We would fail and we would fail miserably. So why do we live in our own strength? Why do we think that we can do it on our own? And as we as adults set the pattern of living in our own strengths, our teens are going to follow. We must set the example of what truth is. We must set the example of walking worthy. We must set the example of bearing fruit. We must set the example of accepting the invitation to get to know God, and we must accept the example to say, you know what? I'm weak. He's strong. We have to set the example. We must pray for each other. God's storehouse of strength is a bottomless ATM machine in which you can keep going back and keep going back and keep going back and find strength new every day. You want victory over sin? God has the strength. You want courage to witness? God has the strength. You want a backbone to stand for what's right? God has the strength. 
You want wisdom to know what is truth and what is error? God has the strength. You want to walk in such a way that meets the desire of your God? God has the strength. You want to be spirit-filled and bear fruit? God has the strength. You see, in order for us to effectively pray for others, we must understand what areas of our life Satan is after. We must pray as Paul did, not just for our teens, not just for our other brothers and sisters in Christ, but also for ourselves that we see we want to know what truth is. That we walk in such a way that meets God's desires. That we bear fruit. That we know God intimately. And that we tap into God's storehouse of his strength. Pray for our teens. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Pray for, your, for yourself in these specific ways. Go beyond the general request of, Lord, I pray for so-and-so, and get specific in ways that we can pray for each other that will bolster them in ways that will grow them spiritually that has everlasting impacts. How can we pray for our teens, others, ourselves? Pray that we be filled with knowledge. Pray that we walk worthily. Pray that we bear fruit. Pray that we increase in the knowledge of God and pray that we be strengthened. That's how you can pray for our teens this year. And I encourage you, pray for each other. Pray for yourself that all these things Uh, would be areas of your life that you are growing in as well. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.